And then you... I'm the first test of this mic, so it's okay. How's that? Yeah, I want to scream at you. Uh, well, in light of hearing, the, the, the coming to the church, various churches, as I work for a Grace Finder Resourcing Network, I work campus, church, city, we, we have a sense of just trying to encourage the body, encouraging students, encouraging each other, find grace in the middle of the storms and all of life, provide resources the way we can, and I'm reminded that we have such resources with each other in the church. We have so much to help each other. And we're such an interesting place, challenging place, because we, we go from mourning to rejoicing in minutes. And like even hearing the prayers, my heart is like, oh, I'm, I'm rejoicing. And then I'm like, oh, it's just such an interesting life, isn't it? Being part of God's church is just such a privilege and so much grace to be received. And yet we mourn and rejoice at the same time. As I'm hearing the, prayer, the prayers, I'm realizing I don't know you as well as I could, but at the same time, there's always different things going on in our hearts. We're so different people. Uh, Dennis was putting up some books there, resources to read a culture map. Um, have you ever been talking to someone and then you just, you realize they don't have a clue what you're talking about? Uh, well, no, no wonder, uh, and, and, that's, and that's now, in the 21st century, with so many resources, so much that had provided for us, one book I was reminded of is called Reading, Misreading the Bible Through Western Eyes and Individualist Eyes. Like, so we, we can see, we just, it's right in front of us. No wonder we need all resources to unpack God's Word. I mean, this is incredible. It speaks right to us on a deepest level. And yet, on the other hand, we need to dig. We need to grow. Um, one, one theologian said, you, when you rake leaves, you just get leaves. When you mine for diamonds... You get, you get diamonds, and that's God's Word, and that's where we get to, to go to it today. And uh, my, my recent path of trying to grow myself is I've been, I've been pondering the, the Scripture that Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Like we, we, I've been reading the Gospels a lot the last year, and it's a new year, and so now I'm thinking, okay, I try to read in the Old Testament, and a lot of the questions I get from students come out of the Old Testament. There's a lot, of, like, it's, an, it's, 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 a, it's a digging place, looking for, for diamonds, right? Um, or I try to do the New Testament, but then I try to, I've been reading the Gospels quite a bit lately, follow Jesus, right? And then I, and then I find Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ, and you're like, Paul is this incredible person that I can also learn from, so I've been trying to find resources with Paul as well. There are biographies, and there's a lot. It's amazing. You, you go to sem seminary, whatever, graduates, you, you learn, and you think, you've got every, I know every, you know, whatever there is to know about Paul, there is to know. No, there's new things we keep learning about him, and the depths of his life, and the, his, he has such a life of mission. And sometimes it's just like, well, we'll just push that off because he's one of a kind. But actually, we can learn from him. And so I'm trying to learn from him. And I hope this sermon helps us reflect a little bit on what, um, on what that is. Some of it will seem so straightforward. And yet I hope that what sometimes when you find out that that straightforward message also reminds you to dig deeper and look for the resources uh, yourself as well. So I have the text today, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. I've been trying to listen to Paul and read Paul and not just look for the, there's lots of doctrine, right, teaching, 
But there's also Paul's way of engaging the world. And it's incredible the, the, in, the inspiration that also comes as you look between the lines. But here in this text, we actually get a, a pretty clear statement like of, of, of how he sees his life of mission, which really can bring to, for all of us. And so let me read this and just highlight something along the way for each part, and then I'll, and then I'll, I'll uh, dig in a little bit more. So you can see in 1 Corinthians 9.19, I'm going to read to 23. In verse 19 it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So you see the servanthood of Paul. And that, that's just this, like it's just, this, I, a, I mean, a servant to all. Then verse 20 says, it shows his passion. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. That word win is there a lot, right? Which is why I've called this message to win some. Then we see in verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, <clears throat> that I might win those outside the law. He has such an adaptability in his position of, of the way he's dealing with people. Servanthood, passion, position. And, and then in verse 22, we see a posture that he takes to his mission. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. There's that message of win, save. By God's grace, some. And then verse 23, we see also Paul shows us presence. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What an outline. What a guideline. What a picture of his approach and how he follows and shares the message. Some of this might on first glance seem really straightforward, but let's dig a little deeper and look at this. Before that we do that, let me, let me pray for us as we, as we seek uh, the Holy Spirit's guidance. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you, and we even realize we can follow Paul to follow you. His words, God, God breathed, inspired for us to learn. We see this picture here where he shows us how we can relate the gospel to a world of such difference so many cultures and people and he had that situation too and so i pray that you'd help us with this today that it would implant in our minds even if we're lamenting and sad we can we can let that be with other people be real people and say you know we're struggling and even when we're joyful and we're on the mountain we can show others the joy of the lord is our strength and so it doesn't matter where we are today these words can help us to find a way that we would be in your mission to win some. As this church is seeking to do that boldly, lovingly, graciously. And so we pray these things, that the word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It always will, Lord. It never returns void. What are depths of riches. We want diamonds. Uh, we want to grow. We want to we see you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm thankful, by the way, that my voice has held out. Remember Zachariah, I mean, when he couldn't speak for a long time? 
<laughs> because until John the Baptist came, that's a whole different situation. But I realized that I take a lot, a lot of things for granted, including my voice. And so at one point I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to... It's sure as, sure as rain, it, it, as the snow in Alberta, we're, we're like, if, if someone says, come and preach and speak for us, my voice is going to go out. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I need to maybe do it more often. But I do appreciate pastors who do so much work in the speaking. I don't know if you realize how much, not to just our friend Dennis, but I mean how much work it is. Can you imagine? I can say this because I'm on campus. I don't preach every week, maybe 15 times a year or whatever. Can you imagine having to prepare it's not really an essay, but an essay every week for the rest of your life, basically. Like, honestly, how many of you want to go back to school and do that? I mean, my students don't even want to do my work that they do with me. Like, when I make them do their projects and writing, 1,800 words, what are you? This is what our pastors do, so maybe just a little plug there for Dennis and to, and to the Zoom people as well. We're so glad you're here also. So anyway, just that, that's a caveat. But I'm thankful that the voice, if it doesn't last, you know it'll be a short sermon. Um, levity, but <laughs> yeah, anyway. Have you ever had one of those moments where you thought, I can't believe they said that? I mean, on, just go on, on um, social media. It's not just say it. I can't believe they wrote that in public for like, and it will never go away. Like you delete your account, it's still somewhere in there. Like, what are we, what are people doing? Like, they say certain things and some things stick with you. Over the years, I've had one, one f- conversation with someone way back before, when I barely got to campus. And it just stuck with me as it relates to our passage today. Uh, sometimes this, the, the shock value language, we do see it in the Bible at times. Jesus uses hyperbole to get attention, right? There's something there. Um, so maybe it's our own lips. You said something and went, oh, I should be quick to listen. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, sometimes it's like my mom does share TMI stuff with me sometimes. You know, and I'm like, mom, I, I don't know if I want to know that or not. Um, so the, the shock value of language is there. Sometimes it can be out of character. You have, I heard, I heard a, a grandma calling her, her child dude one time, and I thought, that's weird. A little dude, right? I mean... Uh, Sometimes it's an initial disturbance that shakes you up. Sometimes it's good, like Jesus' words can actually shock. Paul's words sometimes do that in the scriptural story. Uh, sometimes it helps challenge us. Sometimes it discourages us. So it kind of depends on how it's said. And, and you notice that, that the posture of what we say makes a difference. And what we say may, matters. I've had more and more of these moments as people seem less and less able to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry with social media at the fingertips. That moment I talked about earlier, where I said, I can't believe they said that, that one that stayed in my mind, it started me in a conversation back then, and it continues, and it engages this text as well for me. This person said, and again, there's more to it than this, but they said these words, my parents won't interact with people who don't have exactly the same view of life. If they don't have a faith, I just don't talk to them that kind of perspective. And I went, okay, okay, wait a minute. Maybe they, maybe they just meant, you know, maybe that having firm convictions. Maybe they wanted to make sure that they had, you know, a faithful community of believers around them. Like, that, that makes sense. But it was a pretty strong statement. I said, unpack that a little bit. And they did. And I, it, it was leaning in the direction of, 
basically what I would might call a silo where you're like, I am going to just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to rub shoulders with anyone else. And I thought, wow, okay. Um, as I think about this, 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 this it, it troubled me, but I couldn't do much about it. But it has made me wonder about, you know, how does Jesus, what does Jesus call us to? Are we just called to, to stay in a, in a cloister or stay on our own? Or, or are we called to rub shoulders with people? And um, it, Sure, setting up your standards so no one can get into my life who I disagree with. What, what is that? Isn't that exactly the opposite of being salt and light? Um, that, so the echo chamber mentality. Uh, that can, you know, it's a tribalism that can happen as well. And it can even happen among Christians, which I hope this text today will call us to an, an, another understanding. Not saying that anyone is like that here, but I know my own, my own gravitation is safety of my own. The people that I agree with, it's nice to talk to them. And people I don't agree with, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking to them because uh, they're so stressful anyway. This conversation was a catalyst for trying to understand this text as well as my camp, our campus work. Among such a diverse group of students, I imagine you have this in work, work in neighborhoods as well. Ethnicity, age, gender issues, ethical differences, worldview perspective differences. Uh, that book, A Cultural Map, major cultural differences, the way we see things. I understand maybe this, it isn't quite as diverse. Uh, the university is a very, very diverse place, although I see this congregation, I see people from all places, which is marvelous. But even if we come from a similar background, we still are such different people. And sometimes we take these assumptions into life and we assume things about people that we shouldn't. And so maybe Paul can help us today. It got me thinking, how do we make friends and build relationships so others will get a glimpse of more than paying bills, building houses, and accumulating possessions? How do we build those connections? How do we naturally, in, without, without having to set aside work and all the other responsibilities, how do we make that part of our life? I've been recently pondering about my involvement in, on my soccer team, and at one point, I had a little bit more awareness of what I was, you know, kind of trying to be an encouraging presence and be sportsmanlike. And I get, I get, you don't want to watch my game. Sometimes I get off track and I'm like, man, what, what am I doing? Uh, one guy recently said, oh, you're a chaplain. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're a pastor. Like, and he knew what it was. And we have, we have some Muslims on our team as well. So I, have, I started thinking, okay, in light of this text and, and all, my own engagement, um, can we just get past though the, the, the rat race of life and actually have that overflow as Paul points us to? It's such a contrast uh, to what for some in church can be a close community. <clears throat> I have seen this happen. Um, we, Paul is breaking through barriers, cultural barriers. I mean, we could spend a long time unpacking that. I'll just do a little bit of that in this sermon. The text points to a broad context. Not situation-specific, so it isn't like we can say, well, this is Paul and not us. All scriptures God breathe. It's for our learning and for, for, for what we can gain from it. So it's not just describing something. It, it's calling us to something, prescribing, helping us to engage. Paul's actions show this is to be true. He had confronted Peter on the issue of not associating and reaching out to the Gentiles. Like he, he went right, like right into it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong, a strong uh, conversation in, in, our, in the scripture. And God had called him to go to all the world. If you look at Acts 17, look, look at his conversation on, on what we call the Mars Hill conversation. It's very interesting how he engages and what he does there. He was meeting people from all walks of life, from emperors to tradespeople. 
As I re-looked at this text, I saw a few things that point to a missional life. And every point, the three points, of course, right? It's like important to have three points. Um, is What does it look like to be on mission in life? Last time I was here, I talked about prayer as mission and mission as prayer. And of course, all of this has to be bathed in prayer. But what does it mean from Paul here? First, we notice his passionate servanthood in verse 19 and 20. And maybe that's something to pray for the rekindling. That passionate service. Some of this is my own prayer life coming out where I'm like, I need that passion again. Paul, can you remind me of the passionate servanthood? Paul has a sense of his mission. It motivates, it moves him. You know, the cross, the empty tomb, the, like the gospel, the, the, the creation, the broken world, Jesus coming, this story is the story of stories. And this motivates him. That passionate servanthood is there. And sure, we aren't all the apostle, but we can see that he loves people and he wants to be involved in their lives. Um, this sermon is not meant to guilt you to say, I got to do more, more, more. That's not what we're talking about. But a real passion, a, a, a natural passion that flows out of the gospel. And so we, what, what do, how do we do that? We want, we want to be people that, and Paul was a person who would point people to the one who gives true hope and meaning. It's not a flashy witness, simply being a servant. His passion is not that he has his own life together either. You do see the, the flaws and faults along the way, even as you read, Paul admits that he's, that he's a fellow struggler. Rather, someone has come and intervened and shown him the way. Jesus comes on the Damascus road. It takes that much to turn Paul. I mean, he was, I don't know if I can say this properly, but maybe he was thick-headed, like he was strong. and Like he had a passion, but it, was, it had to be turned by the Lord, and he had to literally turn him around the Damascus road. He's an apostle, but isn't that our story too at times? Our obstinance. Do you remember when, 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 when maybe it's still happening now, when you're hearing the good news and you're going, I just don't know if that, how can that be true? Or you're saying, this, there's so much wrong in the world. What about suffering? What about the problems in the world? What about all the different challenges? The Lord gets through to us, and he got through to Paul. We struggle with our old patterns of thought and action, but Jesus walking with us changes what we get excited about as we see that we're free in him, as, as it points out in our, in our text. Excitement in his goodness in his amazing, undeserving gift, the gift he gives in his power. We have passion in his strength, and it all leads us to serve because it's all his grace that brings us home. This could be very messy, actually, even, because people's lives, our lives, are messy. And the lives of the people in the first century are messy. The culture had a lot going on. I mean, maybe some examples from, from campus are a good reminder. Maybe you have your own. What do you say to someone who has admitted infidelity? They're repentant. This, some of these are just people that stories I've actually had. Uh, what do you say to someone they have with a disorder and they never feel like they're ever going to fit in again? How does our passionate servanthood come to, to mind? What would you say to someone who says they don't like reading the Bible anymore? Uh, I mean, the Bible is a challenging book at times. And I know this student who actually was saying this, he'd been doing a Bible reading plan, but he got caught in the motions 
and not in the sense of the text and the love of, of Christ and the spirit from the text. So I actually at that point had to tell him to, he's reading too much, which sounds really wrong, right? But I mean, he was reading it like a fire hose rather than a lamp to our feet, a meditative place. So anyway, I won't go on about that one, but that's like, what do you say to him? I didn't know what to say at the time because, oh, you're not reading your Bible. How could that be possible? But then sometimes uh, there are different ways to, to, to understand that, to help people. What do you say to that clean-cut, nice-looking person, Christian maybe, or, or neighbor or who seems to have it all together, but you know they're struggling, and then they won't admit it? How does passionate servitude of Paul help us there? Or maybe there's less obvious challenges and, and maybe your own passion for Christ as, as, it, as it wanes over the years or as, as troubles and traumas have come into our lives. How do we find that, what Paul is saying here, rekindling? Is it really that different from people you know around you, from yourself? Just as you can't journey with everyone and we have to be wise about our time. We need, we need to have, I mean, guidelines uh, to, to what we can do. We don't want a savior complex. Like we are the savior, Jesus is the savior. Um, but is our passion still there? That one song we sang today, thank you for the, I always want to thank worship leaders for the work they do. They do a lot of work to put songs together to help us to engage in, in song. His mercy is more. That, that's leading this year. Uh, that song is, is just coming out. That gives me a, a, remem- a remembrance for passion for him, that servanthood. So what does Paul say here, though? But Paul points us to a passion for the weak. It's a bit of a word study that I'm not going to go into for too long, but his passion is for, is for the weak. Well, and you say, well, that's everybody if you have a Christian understanding of it, but a lot of people don't want to be called weak, right? We're strong, um, but my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul is also there, and he, so he calls us to the weak. How do you have a passionate servanthood? Who do you go to? It's for the weak. Well, everyone around us, uh, sometimes the strong think they're weak, right? And a kindness is actually breaking through that, that um, strength that needs to be opened. The word has a sense of the destitute of power, people who know they don't have it together. That's the first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The same, same kind of idea. Someone who's unable to achieve anything great. You can find a text in 1 Corinthians 1.25 that also uses that, that phrase. The overlooked, the unlovely, um, even the hard cases. For my work, it's the students who often feel like cogs in a machine. Money in someone's pocket, especially international students. They spend a lot of money to come here to go to university. Uh, some, and, and there's students who are under pressure of a professor's ideology. They sound so smart. How could maybe what I believe sound so foolish? Challenges, maybe just depression. Jan, the month of January is a, rough, is a hard month for a lot of people. I, I can see that, I'm sure, here too. Um, the battling of, of depression, we've seen it on campus as well. While we're not all called to the same kind of a, a, apostle sense of, of Paul, we have a call into the world to rub shoulders with the weak. There's a broad openness for Paul here, and it, it just reflects his, his, 
Savior who ate with tax collectors and sinners, people who were on the margins. This will likely take a long time. We don't save people. You notice how much of the fruit of the Spirit we need when we're involved in this process? Patience. Imagine if kindness was the number one virtue in Canada. Can you imagine what would happen to the world? But we, in, in, this, in the Spirit, and Paul, actually, I wonder, when Paul is, I'm seeing more and more of it, when I'm reading of, about what Paul wrote, you see a kindness to Paul. Now, kindness is not, it's not just letting people do it. Like, sometimes kindness is a strong word, but spoken in love. And so we see that uh, in Paul here, that passion. It's not serving out of guilt. Um, and it will take a long time sometimes. Sometimes, I, I was talking to one gentleman and he said, I've been praying for a certain friend for seven uh, could he have been, yeah, I think it was 65 years. I mean, that's a long time. And, and passion, it's hard to keep passionate and, and to be a servant, but that's our call for a whole life. It's a long journey. We can't drum it up and we can't just do it out of guilt either because people know when you're doing it out of guilt, right? You're my case. I'm going to work you over. Like, that's not working with people. They, they, they'll know when you love them. You can't, you, you, we can't be there either. Um, and so among those who are weak, we come and say, we were weak, we have a strong Savior, who in his strength was also weak. He endured the cross, despising the shame, the shame, the shame of the cross. They would have cruci people, crucified people along the Roman way, and they would be standing there, and people would see it and go, man, we don't want to mess with the Romans. And they were naked, and they were... It, 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 the picture is horrific. That's our Lord Jesus, despising the shame. The weak, the call, Paul shows us passionate servanthood. But a second thing he helps us with, where, which comes out of 21 and 22, if you're, if you're seeing it there or taking uh, mental notes, his position and posture. His posture, how he, how he comes to people. How does he relate to people? This, this might remind us to pray to move out of our comfort zone. I know, I be, especially when we were locked in for so long, I think I lost some relational muscle. Does that make sense? Where you're like, almost like, you know what, I'd just rather stay inside. Oh, got to go talk to people. I mean, I, I'm supposed to talk to people for a living. I had this. I'm admitting it to you. Uh, and so, Lord, help me, right? So that's a prayer, moving out of our comfort zone, our posture, not to be enclosed. It's easy to pull, uh, pull ourselves away from the tough situations or even just long-term care. Paul is rubbing shoulders with people. He's putting himself in a position or a posture of availability. This may be as simple as going to functions that people invite us to. You ever get that? Someone invites you out? If you're the extrovert, you're like, yeah. But, if, but I sometimes will get invited. Lisa will say, oh, we're, we're having people over. Or we're being invited. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm supposed to be happy about this. But maybe, maybe I need to look to my friend Paul and be a little bit less like that. I don't know about you. Maybe you're, you're not that person. Uh, maybe you need to not be out so much and have a little more time to ponder. But I would say that's a struggle we all have at some level. And when do you say no to people? Um, when they ask you to go somewhere out of the normal. Wisdom is needed. There are places that I don't want to go, per se, um, but can I sit in a local neighborhood pub? Maybe I can, maybe I can't, depending on, on your own circumstances. 
Um, he adapts himself to the situations he's in. He never is wanting to compromise the gospel. Uh, he's journeying and walking with people. He doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, theolo- one theologian has pointed out that we often take one position in relationship to our culture. We act like there's only one position that we have against. We're against culture, or we're for culture, or we're over culture, or we're under culture. No, we are all things to all people. And so sometimes we might be like, you know what, this is not, we've got to stand our ground. Sometimes there may be things that, are, that we have to allow for and listen to and go, okay, our culture is saying something. Other times we may have to come in and say, you know, how do we transform, be part of transformation of a culture? And so we can see that challenge for us. Paul, Paul assumes some things here in this text. He assumes we are very different people, but he also assumes a commonality. There is a commonality. It's not like we are so different that we don't have a sense we're all made in God's image. We're all broken. We all need a Savior. And so Paul assumes that with those who are his own ethnicity, he has commonality, but he also has commonality with the Gentiles because of the brokenness, because of the need for the gospel. He also assumes need. He assumes everyone is needy. You know, and you, you, you call that person, well, they're needy. Put your, not to be mean, we can all be needy, and we actually, it's a good thing to be needy. We all have a need um, that, that's around us. It's there, and Paul doesn't shy back from the messiness of being places that may be uncomfortable. For those outside of the law, he could work in that realm too. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Imagine he, he is deeply steeped in the law. Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows it. And yet, he says, I can work apart from it with the people I have to work apart from it. That was not an easy thing for him, right? Um, So that's a a whole other ballgame, but that's that's a strong example that says you can walk with people from all backgrounds. A man of his Jewish piety, that would have been a huge challenge. Not only Paul assumes commonality need and adaptation in his posture to people in his position, but he also... He also assumes the need for adaptation. When he's in a situation different from what he grew up in, he knows enough to adapt or learn the lessons as to how to do this. Remember, <clears throat> excuse me, how he brings, remember he brings up his Roman citizenship to give him an audience with more people? Interesting. He could have used it to get out of the situation, and yet he points it, it out when it will give him greater gospel witness. So Paul assumes that adaptation is needed. He, we see it, especially when you read Acts. This is where you can see a lot of what Paul... Um, next time you read it, look at how Paul engages his mission. It's there in many places. <clears throat> he also assumes flexibility. His flexibility is remarkable, really. All three major categories. He's flexible to work with his own culture, another culture, the people who, have, who no one else would talk to, considered untouchables, uncultured, Reminds me of what Jesus does. He follows Jesus' example in that. The lepers, the poor, eating with sinners, quote-unquote. What could this look like? Well, a practical example. Someone wants to talk to you about something they are watching, a TV show. It's not your favorite show. How do you respond? This has happened. Some people I know will just say, I hate that show. Okay, all right, and the conversation's gone. 
right? <laughs> um, hmm, maybe, maybe I should check it out. Okay, you're trying to stay in the conversation. Um, or, you know, what do you like about that show? Very simple example, but your first knee-jerk response may be, be quick to listen first. And I, and I find that too. I've been with people where I'm like, I say something I really love, and they'll say, oh, I hate that. And I'm like, oh, man, wow, okay. This is not the way to show that posture that I'm open to conversation. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everyone on everything. I have, a, I have a student who actually has challenged me on this. I probably mentioned him before. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he's not a student. He's, well, he was. He's, he's now a teacher. He got a job, and he's up north. He texts me the most interesting things. <laughs> I, have to, I have to argue with him sometimes. I have to say no to him. I have to, but he, he's, he's a bombardment of this conversation. But then, he, then in the middle of a worship service, He'll say, hey, where's your, where's your church online? And he wants to, and, and he was pretty anti-religion at one point. And I don't know how many times I've thought to myself, I am not, what, what am I doing with this guy? I, I, he, like, he, he gets under your skin sometimes. He says some really, really, like, sometimes I'm like, whoa, you can't say that. Uh, um, right? But, to, but, to, but journeying with people like that, I'm not saying I'm, I'm doing that well either. But maybe there are people like that in your life. It doesn't mean you have to do that with everyone you meet. But maybe there's that person that the Lord wants you to, just, to, to keep, you know, you, instead of saying, oh, I hate this or that, maybe, maybe say, well, what do you like about these things? His posture. Posture is an important thing to keep thinking about. And even as you read the text uh, for yourself. Not every situation will allow for your passion and position with Christ to be spoken, though. Sometimes it's just, there's just no room to say it. And sometimes words don't help at that moment anyway. Uh, how many times have you wanted to respond on social media to something and had to go, oh, if I respond, what will happen? Uh, for myself, I, ref I reflect being a pastor, but also an organization, Grace Finder. Like if I start getting into the war with people online, um, sometimes there's a time to be silent on these things and, and there's no fruit. And really all we can pray for, and Paul shows us this lastly, presence, that we pray for a humble fragrance to be with us. And really in a sense, that's sometimes all that's available there. As Paul says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings all for the sake of the gospel. And so presence might be, it's surprising that people will notice your, your presence wherever you are. You may not know that they are seeing and watching. And this is a challenge that Paul provides for us to, as we close. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. All of his labor to try to adapt to a changing environment, find openings to be a servant to others is not in vain. It is for blessing, real blessing, peace, joy, Truth, hope, love, kindness, kindness. Remember I said about what, what would happen if this congregation, all the congregations we know, were known for kindness. What would happen? The presence. You know, you know it. You know it when you see it. People know kindness. Even the simple thing of letting someone in, in traffic. I, I've actually almost, not in tears, I was going to say I was in tears, but that's hyperbole. Uh, but like I almost am shocked when I'm let in, to, in traffic now. People are so angry. I'm like, whoa, right? And, and the roads are so dangerous. And when someone lets you in, 
It's like, and you have, have you had that, there was a thing where people were paying it forward? You go through a line and you get a coffee and they're like, well, no, that's been paid for. It's, it may be a gimmick, I don't know, but I've had it happen to me a couple times and I thought, thank you, Lord, that was not kind. I didn't really have the money for my coffee today. So just simple things, that presence. You may, you may, may not realize how important that is. When I meet you and I get to feel what your life is like, I see God's working. In, your, in the presence he gives you, even as I look out at you and, and you're wondering, when is, is, how long is he going to be, right? Um, no, presence, your presence. It's a journey of faithfulness and it's a long road. For the, I work with young people who think that when they're, tw- how many, they're 25 that they're old. And I mean, we laugh, right? And then I meet people who are in their 70s and they call me young man. Right? And so it's like, and it's like I'll never actually be old enough until I'm like 80, maybe 85. There's always someone older, right? Um, but it's a journey of faithfulness. We might, we might live that long. It does look like a long life sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of good things in life, but you look ahead and go, I, I could live another 30, 35 years. Like that's a, That seems like a lot. So, Lord, give us your presence is my prayer for all of us. You might say, well, I'm not exciting, passionate, and smart like Paul. Actually, remember, he wasn't known for his eloquent words. He really was like us, and we like him. He was God's spirit, as we do. He has a mission. He has people in his life, people who are weak. He has people of different ethnicity, people from our own background, uh, Albertans, and those who are from other places, like Cal- I mean, like whatever, other places, right? He's with us all. The animosity I see sometimes between cities, I think as Christians, we have way more in common. Please lean on that, right? Um, I w- maybe check this out later. If, if, I was, if I was given a lot of time and it was more of a, we could get up and now have a break, I would, I would show you something now. Have you heard of the story of the person of color who confronts the KKK leader? There's actually a movie as well. It's a powerful movie. But I think if you search on YouTube, you can find this. It might even be a TED Talk. Um, anyway, I put it in. I've got the link here. But it's an incredible story of what the presence of someone who is in... You can't quite tell if they're... I, I, I think they're a follower of Christ. But they're not saying it specifically. But that you would journey with someone of that nature, like so far from, from where you're at. Maybe, maybe that is too big of a story for us, but maybe it's just our neighbor. These, there are people you can give cookies to. You can cut their gra- grass. I mean, you can shovel their snow. Um, you can visit them. We need people who are um, volunteers in nursing homes, hospice, um, volunteers in all sorts of places, uh, school lunches. Maybe, maybe uh, you, when you're at school every day, you have an opportunity just to be a, to seek kindness, patience with people. Uh, maybe your work, maybe your workplace. Maybe you can be a beacon for people there. And literally, one kind act can change someone's day or world. Buy someone a Starbucks, a Tim's, or whatever. Like a mustard seed, it can grow in God's mysterious ways. Be a grace finder. Find goodness where you can. I I have to call myself to that regularly. It's too easy to fall into cynicism that God is at work in everything. As we see Paul's teaching us about a posture, a position, a passion, may we have that for his kingdom. Loving truth, loving people, 
And maybe this week, pray, Lord, give me the fruit of the Spirit, maybe even one that you pray specifically. Help me to show this, this year, this day, this month. Art of Neighboring is a book, a resource. If you want to follow through more on this kind of conversation, a good resource to read. I mean, you read it and you'll go, this is just common sense. But, are we, but, but it's easier to read it than it is to be it. And so that's my prayer for all of us, that God's grace and mercy and peace would be with us. Teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Teach us to seek a life of mission. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, O Lord. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us. Lord, your will be done. Your beautiful, glorious, truthful word will be done. May it be done through this people, through Sunrise. Sunrise Community, what a great name for a church. Lord, be with this, these people. Be with those who are mourning right now, lamenting, hurting. You hear our cries, Lord. And a lot of times, all we can mutter is help. And so with those we pray, Lord, help us. And those who are rejoicing, we rejoice with them. And say, Lord, help us. And as we rejoice or as we lament or as we just work hard in this world, may we be people who show your kindness and be all things to all people that in the end you would win some as we are winsome for your kingdom. In Christ we pray. Amen.